0: Kia ora koutou, um, ko Alex Gunn Mahi ana te o um, My name's Alex Gunn and I uh, work at the University of Otago and I'm here with Pauline Barnes from the Teaching Council to talk about the new provider requirements for teacher education program review and approval. One of the reasons I think Collins invited me here is that I have the privilege of acting in the role as Chair of the Teacher Education Forum of Aotearoa New Zealand at the moment. As Chair of TEFANS, I have uh, the capacity to talk with a lot of providers around the country and to puzzle over these new requirements with colleagues as we work together to try and reorient our system towards the new standards in professional practice. So I'll just hand over to Pauline to introduce herself.
1: Thanks, Alex. Kia ora koutou, kou Pauline Barnes, toko ingoa. I'm the general manager here at the Teaching Council and have been involved in this initial teacher education work uh, Pretty much from the day I started back in the beginning of 2016. And I have to say that it's one of the most uh, interesting and challenging areas of our education system, partly because it's so critical to the success of our learners and for the profession, but also because so many different organisations and different parts of the system have a role to play in initial teacher education. So it's been challenging but also pretty exciting to get to this point.
0: Excellent. I think, um, Pauline, through the podcast we're going to delve into some of the detail of the requirements and talk about aspects here and there. But also um, I think by way of introduction and context setting it would be really useful if you could just start us off with how this whole enterprise began, what it is that we're working towards in terms of system change and then we can move into some of the more specifics.
1: Okay, thanks, Alex. So the Teaching Council has a legal responsibility for the uh, setting of standards for initial teacher education and that's very much in line with our role as a professional body where effectively we're saying uh, we set the standards for what teachers need to do as practitioners and therefore also uh, what preparation they need. And we also have a role as the professional body to make sure that teachers, uh, in an ongoing way, uh, have the access that they need to professional learning and development and support over their careers. And so the initial teacher education part is... A really important part of what is it that we um, expect teachers need to be able to begin that professional journey. Uh, but we don't do that alone. So our approval of programmes and qualifications, we do in conjunction with the two quality assurance bodies. So that's QAP for universities and it's New Zealand Qualifications Authority for Uh, those Wananga PTEs and Polytechnics that play a role in ITE. We don't fund um, initial teacher education. That's the role of the Tertiary Education Commission. And so, uh, to some extent, uh, it's really important that we all join hands when it comes to saying we really want to influence not just the quality of initial teacher education, but that we've got uh, the right provision across the country and how do we manage that. Well, on our own, the Teaching Council can't do that, but with others we have the opportunity to be a bit more joined up. Um, And the Ministry of Education has particular responsibility for parts of the system as well. So uh, for employment-based initial teacher education, they're the funder of uh, part of that, They also fund scholarships for um, student teachers. Uh, So, again, the joining up idea is, is really important. And so when we began this work three years ago, our role was very much to say, this is an area that we want to make sure is right for the future, that if we're really looking at growing the quality of the teaching profession, we need to collectively, as a profession and as the system players, come together and say, what do we actually want? So the starting point was that. And with three years of consultation uh, and various phases in that, uh, we've brought together initial teacher education providers, many practitioners from early childhood, primary and secondary Uh, from Māori medium and English medium. And the conversations have started uh, quite visionary. And as we got closer to putting together actual standards that are the requirements, getting down into what are the details that really are going to make a difference for the future. And so there are just a few things that I would share around the shift in expectations that have come out of all of that work. One is around strengthening the qualifications so they have a really clear focus on the standards for the teaching profession. We want to provide greater assurance to practitioners that graduates are actually ready to teach, particularly at the beginning, recognising that they have been in a supported environment. We want greater practitioner Māori and iwi input into the design but also the operation of initial teacher education as authentic partners. We want a future-focused, flexible pathway into the workforce that increases diversity. And we also really want to take this opportunity to create the structures and the relationships and the feedback loops required to establish a learning system. That's something that uh, all partners in this work have agreed, uh, look, we're a small enough country, we should be able to do this in an effective way so that we're not just saying at a point in time, here's what we think is right, but we're creating a system that enables that work to evolve and develop based on what we learn through this process.
0: I think since the requirements have been published, we've had uh, a number of opportunities to come together as providers and to meet with the council and meet with other members of the profession about what the changes might mean. And the council's been quite proactive in terms of publishing resources, facilitating discussions and making those bigger goals around the kind of educative nature of this process really explicit so that we can all, as you say, hold hands into this uh, new, new era together um, as the professional standards are bedded in. I did want to ask you a little bit about some of the finer details, although finer details but big ticket items sure. in a sense that I think, uh, well, I'm certainly still puzzling over and I think some of my colleagues in teacher education are puzzling over as well. And so I wondered if we might um, uh, start to talk about a a few of those items, Pauline. And I wanted to start with the partnership element because this is a a major component Mm. of the new requirements. And I think we all appreciate that working in a profession-wide capacity is to the benefit of us all. And as you know, many teacher educators are still... Registered and certified teachers, so we do class ourselves as members of the profession um, in that teaching sense, um, as well as as well as being yeah. an ITE. Um, and so, one of the uh, new requirements is about the partnership development work. You're interested when we put applications up to the council for providers to take account of the kind of mutual benefits that are brought about by those authentic partnerships in teacher education. And I wondered if you had any comments about where you've seen it going well, what those kind of mutual benefits, what kind of mutual benefits you would recognise as being quite key in that process of authentic partnering.
1: I think the authentic partnerships is definitely one of the most significant changes that we're looking for. And I would just say that we're not suggesting that there aren't already authentic partnerships. So we've seen a lot of um, amazing partnerships. Uh, But we do know that that's not the case in every situation. And the the thread of authentic partnerships really came from the literature review that we commissioned NZCR to do quite early in this process, Mm -hmm. where they had a look at what does it really take to have meaningful, practical experience as part of an initial teacher education programme. And there were key factors that really describe elements of an authentic partnership. And I guess it's very difficult to put in writing what you're looking for for a partnership because actually the nature of a partnership is that it is about relationship but it's also about having some common expectations and a lot of the elements out of the literature review were areas where actually the provider and the student and the setting, whether that's an early childhood service or it's a school or kura, uh, actually have some common work to do and being on the same page becomes really important. And it could be simple things like uh, for each placement, each of the parties understands what the focus of that placement is and what the learning is going to be. Uh, For that to happen, actually uh, all parties also need to understand why that's important and how they might support that learning to happen. And so it's like a, a bit like layers of activity that actually at the highest level are really about being on the same page about what you're trying to achieve and uh, having a common language and the standards a common expectation about uh, what the standards look like in practice is probably at the heart of it Uh, except that in reality there are different contexts In each setting, uh, there will be programmes that are designed with a slightly different flavour. And so all those things need to come together. So the council's tried really hard not to be too prescriptive, but to point to the evidence, to recognise it takes time to build a partnership, to try and find some things that we think would be helpful. So we've suggested things like you might bring uh, some kind of memorandum of understanding of how you've built the kind of expectations. I think the hard thing is for providers is that really, uh, though we're trying to build professional partnerships that have mutual benefits for the whole profession, the reality is that in this situation, the ITE provider has to kickstart that uh, if they don't already have a base to work from and they have real expectations to be able to get their program approved. So it's not quite an, a balanced arrangement, and we understand that.
0: Thanks for talking about the, those benefits of the partnerships. And um, there's another element of those that I think would be worthwhile just touching base on, and it's about the way in which the profession, members of the profession and the teacher education provider can share responsibility for success of those graduating students. Could you tell us a bit more about um, how you imagine that will play out for for programmes?
1: I think uh, one of the things that I've been aware of in the time that we've been doing this work is that uh, most practitioners and those working in ITE uh, are pretty passionate about the kind of graduates that they want to see. But quite often, not always, quite often... It turns into uh, what's not working well. And what we're really looking to shift here is the thinking about, well, whose responsibility is this? If you are a part of a profession and you really believe in the teaching workforce is a profession, then each of us actually has a responsibility to uh, nurture and and grow and support new people coming along and if you kind of take that understanding then what we're trying to create is the opportunity for everybody to play their role in there and at the moment we recognise that there are some resourcing issues that sometimes uh, not necessarily get in the way but don't help in terms of incentivising that relationship to work uh, in the way that people would like it to. But in reality, you've got to start somewhere. And so the place that we're starting is to say, everyone has a role in this. And the, re- the partnership that we're trying to incentivise is a kind of a long-term partnership that says, if I'm a leader of an early childhood service, that actually I'm really committed to working in partnership with this provider and that means that I'm interested in the design of their programme and I'm interested in sharing my knowledge about what I really think the standards look like in practice or what I'm noticing about uh, the graduates that I have and I'm actively providing feedback because actually their outcome is my outcome And if I'm the provider, then I'm really looking for the opportunity to know what's it looking like when uh, my students are there, the graduates that have come from my programme, what are the areas that they're really strong in and what are the areas that maybe they might need some more information or what's changing uh, in the curriculum that maybe I now need to pick up. It's a really complicated space and it's only going to work well if people are uh, looking for that joint Outcome.
0: Yeah, I think um, you used the word incentivise there, and I guess thinking back on the notion of the mutual benefit to the profession, there are there's quite a lot of incentives for practitioners to feel like they're making a contribution and being able to make a contribution to the development of their local workforce as yeah. well. And uh, for people in the provider side of the equation, uh, you know, making uh, having confidence that the, um, the programme has legs in the profession. Yes. And that you're making sense of um, how the standards look in these services in this particular region, um, in these curtail or schools, um, that it makes sense mm-hmm. to you as a, as a kind of collective. Um, is also a very useful idea to take forward into this whole enterprise. Yeah.
1: I think the area of confidence has been one of the things that sort of stood out for me, that a lot of what I hear is reasonably anecdotal mm-hmm. but what it adds up to is they're not being a confidence that any graduate of any ITE program in New Zealand is actually the quality that we expect and so part of our role is to build that confidence and some of that is about sharing information Uh, Some of it is about having processes that enable there to be uh, common understanding. So creating a learning process is an important part of that. One of the other things that we've put in the kind of programme of work is to have a national moderation of the culminating assessment of students. And that isn't to say we think some programmes aren't going to make it. It's much more to say... Actually, how do we build consistency and confidence of the kind of judgments that we're making as we learn what the standards actually look like in practice and as we take these new models into the future so that we are actively participating in the confidence building across the profession? And then, if we find some things that we don't have confidence in, changing things. Mm.
0: Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll take that notion of confidence through um, into the panel processes that I know are still under development, very yeah. uh, imminently emergent. Because I had some questions around standards that might be applied or the way that criteria may be interpreted and applied when panels are coming together to evaluate the at, at the desk stage and at the interface panel stage as well when people are coming together to judge the evidence that providers have put up and there's a couple of criteria or notes around the criteria 2.3 that address the integration of theory and practice and that um, raise the notion of sufficiency of the IT curriculum for particular things and so I'm interested to know a little bit about what or how the standards for what might be sufficiently integrated or the standards for sufficient in terms of theory and professional experiences might be. Could you talk about that a little bit?
1: I can. I guess I would start by saying the word judgment. Mm -hmm. So sufficiency is not something that is kind of black and white. So you can't read a document and say, oh yes, clearly they've understood what we're looking for and this is sufficient. Uh, the council has a panel process uh, specifically so that we can get a diverse range of experience and expertise to consider the whole of the programme that's being designed and who it's being designed for and make what does become a collective judgement but to have a conversation around Is this what we expected to see? Is it sufficient? Uh, And we've worked hard to get the panel members to be representative of quite a few different areas of expertise. So we've gone out looking for people that obviously have some expertise around the different parts of the system, so early childhood, primary, secondary, Māori, medium, etc., But we've also looked for specific expertise in things like uh, curriculum, understanding and curriculum design, assessment, inclusive practices and learning support, digital technology, having real expertise and understanding a teo Māori worldview. And we want them to bring that perspective into the judgment that they're making. So the sufficiency, I guess, has two layers The council team, so the staff that we uh, employ, will be looking at uh, the papers as they come in and looking to see could they reasonably see whether the requirement has been met from what's there and if they're a bit unclear we would ask for more information. But the judgment that's made is actually made by that panel and what we're looking for the panel to do is really interrogate that and we expect that for these kind of key areas of change, it's very much a conversation that unpacks Mm. the thinking of the design and how that design leads to meeting the standards Mm. and what were the choices that you made because actually the design is all about choices. You can't possibly do all the things that you want to do so um, you have to make some compromises so being able to talk to that uh, will enable the panel to make that call and I'm expecting that the panel decisions will be things like yeah we think this is sufficient but actually here are the things we think you might want to think about adding in the future so areas that they think could be improvements.
0: Mm. So describing that panel process is a bit more uh, conversational and developmental in that sense I guess uh, must signal perhaps that panel chairs might be looking to run processes a little differently to what we might have expected or experienced in the past?
1: Potentially. So uh, we've appointed at this stage three panel chairs and they're all experienced panel chairs who've done initial teacher education programs but also other programs Mm -hmm. before and they have uh, shared their experience with each other about things i have found useful in terms of a chairing process and how to engage all of the panel members from the beginning and, and understanding what each of their expertise is so they can make sure they capture that as they go through making their decisions. Their expectation is that it will be a lot more conversational and that it will be most of the discussion around the things that are most significant with the more compliance things not really featuring as as a part of the panel conversation. I think um, the big shift that we've made as well is that we've trained panel members. So uh, one of the things that came out of the discussion with chairs was that many times they're on panels with people who have never been on a panel. They don't quite understand what the role is, um, but they've been nominated as a person to show up on the day. And so all of our panel members have been selected from an interview process, from understanding what the expertise is, and then trained to understand what are the uh, new requirements, what are we trying to achieve. So we've tried to do everything we can to make this the best possible process, and then we just have to see how it goes mm-hmm. and um, try and share the learnings that we have from that for subsequent panels.
0: Yes, and the, the first panels are... Due fairly quickly, yes, and you will be sharing information from that soon. I expect.
1: So we would be wanting to share that information as quickly as possible, Uh, so the first panels happen in October. So we would expect in November we would have something that we would start to uh, share with other providers. Mm. This is what this is what we found, and that that would be an ongoing development of the story, really, as we. broaden the experience with different kinds of applications coming forward.
0: Mm. And it, it's going to be quite an intense period of work over the next 18 months to two years really um, and so I think there are some good opportunities for the council to interface with the providers over that coming up. So, Yeah
1: absolutely um, and we certainly want to use uh, the Tefans uh, group to help us do that and any other kind of opportunities like podcasts and um newsletters and things yeah
0: good can i bring you back to a couple more of the criteria the things that i'm still continuing to puzzle over um joe sent us recently some packages of materials that were used in the learning workshops and were they in june i think And um, they're very helpful. There was a set around the scenario work that happened Mm -hmm. there and there was a set around uh, helping providers uh, establish levels around te reo Māori competence for the close to entry, after entry, um, new requirement about te reo Māori formative assessment. And Jo managed to ask providers at that point whether there were any other types of information that might be particularly useful. And I know that one of the ones that came forward at that point was any more information about the pre-literacy and numeracy testing and particularly managing that from a distance.
1: So for clarity it is our expectation every provider would have a separate literacy and numeracy assessment prior to confirming entry and that isn't going to be acceptable just to be relying on UE as the evidence and In particular, um, the reason for that is because one of the council's areas of decision around their strategy was it really needed to lift the literacy and numeracy capability of our teachers, and we had hoped to do some kind of research around what are the current levels of literacy and numeracy that we have so that we can think about how do we build that and if we were going to set any kind of benchmark for the future for entry into the profession, what would that look like? And remember the basis for all of this is evidence that suggests that if we're really going to lift the literacy and numeracy of our students that we have to specifically make sure that our teachers have the level that is adequate for them to teach. I guess teaching is such a language-rich subject and increasingly it also requires a level of numeracy to be able to cope with the requirements of being a teacher, not to teach mathematics but to be a teacher, that we want teachers to be able to actually be successful and so setting that up front is helpful to be able to attract the right kind of students but it's a bit of a fraught space in the sense that actually deciding what level that looks like, uh, how do you make the assessment, there are a few tools around, but each of those tools um, has their own pros and cons. And at one point the council considered uh, developing its own tool. Yes. Uh, we came to the conclusion that that was a very expensive way of approaching this if in fact there wasn't really much of an issue. And so... Where we've landed in all of that is to say, well, let's leave it to providers to decide how they want to assess. There's always been a requirement for there to be some assessment, and let's see what we can learn from that over the next couple of years. So we haven't gone into looking at the logistics of what that looks like, but at the approval stage, what we're looking to see is that some attention has been paid to that, that there is an assessment and some way of thinking about what will they do with students who maybe don't meet that assessment. So the requirements say we expect someone to pass, which means that they would have the equivalent of the current UE requirements, which is NCA Level 2 Literacy and Numeracy credits. Uh, However, that doesn't mean that... Providers would necessarily have to not allow those students in. They might have some other bridging programme or something like that that helps them to achieve that. So can I ask you a question Um, in your TEFAN's role? It's it's taken, um, as I said, about three years for us to, I think, agree as a profession here are the areas that we think uh, we need to change to make a difference um, for the future. But I, I'm really interested in getting a sense from providers' point of view as they've begun actually putting these requirements in practice and designing programs. What sense do you have of the comfort providers have that this is the right strategic direction? Um, are there areas that you think maybe they're less comfortable with or that might take a bit more time mm-hmm. to achieve? Mm-hmm.
0: So, you know, I mentioned before that uh, there are a lot of teacher educators sitting in providers who are also s- registered and certified teachers, and so w- we all pretty much bought into the standards and the development of the standards, and so um, in that sense we all appreciate that this is a positive step forward to uh, profession building in that way around the new standards and that that would have consequences for what we were doing in teacher education. So. So given that we're duly teachers and teacher educators, mm. um, I think you can, you can have some confidence that there are a lot of people sitting in providers around the country who generally think this is an excellent move because uh, we are bound professionally by those standards ourselves. It's fair, I think, from the Tefans Forum that we had uh, earlier in the year at the University of Canterbury that people found the discussions around the assessment framework that Graham brought to that forum and around the key teaching tasks that we talked about on that day, that people were seeing the benefits of establishing a picture of graduate capability and standards across the country, that this is a aspiration that we can move towards. The outcomes focus of the, of the teacher education requirements are making us think quite differently, and of course many of us work within systems that have got administrative structures that are still very input, Focused. So, as teacher educators, trying to uh, move some of our colleagues who are helping us to produce the documentation to support the um, applications, you know, there's quite a bit of work going on there. But I think the process of discussion at the panel, actual panel process, and that kind of presentation and defence and presentation of the decisions made, that kind of account that providers will give about the decisions in their teacher education design will help kind of ameliorate some of that uh, residual input focus that might yeah. that might exist with some applications as they come forth. You know, I think it's a hugely labour-intensive exercise for us and, and, you know, change is always painful, <laughs> but we're managing and because we've got this kind of two, two three year lead-in period talking to our line managers and budget boffins um, to try and uh, get everything in line to help us kind of succeed and make it run as smoothly as possible. I think there are costs that yeah that will uh, add quite a lot of burden and I I know that even though we've got an additional um, pool of funding from Tech to support the introduction of the requirements Even some of my back of the envelope um, type uh, calculations around the extra costs associated with visiting for and longer practica, you know, those things Mm. are certainly definitely worrying us still. And you know, many of us have been involved in some of those um, partnership activities around practicum, and we know that that's quite a burden financially and labour-wise to be able to work in the tertiary institution and in the professional institutions to be able to make that work well so you know there's still quite some questions about how we're going to pull it off but my sense is that uh, people are really just working on it and we'll only do it by doing it in that sense.
1: I think that is kind of where we see the system at as well that we have done a lot of talking and planning Mm -hmm. and now we just have to do it Mm -hmm. and and take care to make sure that we are mindful of what we're doing and learn from what we're doing and adjust. So this isn't a one-off thing. You know, there's still uh, the programmes to be designed and more work to do, but there's other parts of the system that we are beginning to pay attention to now. So one of the key areas that we're working on is... A framework that is appropriate for a Māori medium approval that mm-hmm. takes the concepts but actually uh, works alongside a Māori worldview and so uh, some providers may choose to have their Māori medium programs approved under the current approval framework but many will choose to wait mm. and they're working collaboratively at the moment with us to create a Māori medium framework Uh, another area that we're working on actually is what does induction and mentoring look like particularly for new graduates but also right across the system as one of our functions around leadership how do we grow capability of teachers to mentor others Uh, how much are we leaving to chance that kind of first two years between graduation and achieving a full practicing certificate Mm. and what should that Mm. really look like Mm. Uh, how is that all supported by resources and things and so often in these kind of policy changes it's quite difficult to change the status quo that may be driven by um, funding arrangements and things like that but actually getting back to what does the evidence say good looks like and how do we support that to happen and what's you know the real problem that we're trying to address here that takes quite a bit longer and so that's the area that we've started to move into and expect to... Th- know make some changes as we go along yeah
0: well i mean that that takes me right back to the beginning where i was asking you about this notion of mutual benefit in the profession around the the new requirements and moving forward and i think um you know just by virtue of having uh, members of the profession and teacher education experts working closely over the standards and what they look like in that supported environment and then thinking about that that shift into practice you know, it's much more likely to be able to um, build that induction uh, capacity, I think, amongst the teacher yep. workforce yeah. through the teacher education work that will just have to happen. And we're sharing responsibility for mm. assessment of the standards with support and moving those uh, graduates into, into the profession. So I think I they think they work, work towards each other.
1: I agree, and it, it is very much a goal for the Teaching Council to create those kind of spaces where we can have professional conversations that grow our professional understanding, and ITE has been one of those opportunities, I suppose, to be able to do that.
0: D- dare I ask, um, at what point will, will the requirements be looked at in terms of how they are working? Is there a, is there a sense of uh, review around... Any particular requirements or the process, or
1: so stop-take? we're thinking review on a couple of different things. So we want to, in the most immediate future, reflect on how easy it has been for um, providers to understand the requirements and actually translate that into a program design. And are there some things that we could do mm-hmm. better in the future that we need to take into account for future iterations? That this is the most short term one. Actually what we're looking to see and build in, in an ongoing way is what difference does it make uh, for actual graduates of teaching and doing an, a, a formal evaluation of what does that look like across the country and the experience of those new teachers as they start to teach and the experience of their employers is another aspect of that so ERO did an initial uh, look at that a couple of years ago we would expect that after the uh, new programs have been in place for a couple of years that the general experience should be much different to that so we'll be testing that But I think there's also um, a programme that we are just starting to develop now that looks at the particular aspects that we were trying to get into. So take authentic partnerships. Mm. Probably we need something that's going to give us a bit of a deep dive and and maybe even some research opportunities Mm. for some PhD or master's students to have a look at. um, So here was our theory of change – this is what has happened in different places. What can we learn about that that would strengthen practice? Mm. And it's that kind of discourse that we would really want to be promoting at things like TIFANS conferences and other learning opportunities where collectively we have a bit of a plan around what are we really trying to see here and how do we learn from that as a system. Mm.